old building entirely just crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. podcast of Firestorm Fan and the Aquaman Shrine. I'm the Irredeemable Shag, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob, from the Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, Jag? I'm doing great. I am doing absolutely great. I am sitting here with a stack of comics. I am sitting here with... I'm just surrounded by geekery. <laughs> and, I, and I'm just so excited to be here. It's good that you brought reading material for when I'm talking, so you can <laughs> keep yourself entertained. Are you done talking now? <laughs> I was already a page or two into Hawkman, but anyway. That's the uh, savage Hawkman to you. That's right, the savage Hawkman. <laughs> there will be blood. Um, well, folks, uh, we are back for another episode. We are uh, This is episode six. We're going to cover a lot of things today. And um, obviously the biggest news is that Aquaman number two and the Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear man, uh, not men, Number two is out. Uh, we're going to hit those in just a bit. We're going to go through some notes, some news. We're going to talk about the comics, and we'll get to some listener feedback at the end. That sounds good. What well, better, because that's the agenda we agreed to. Okay. That sounds All like right. a good show. I just want to listen to it. Why don't you just do it, and then let me know when it's <laughs> up, and then I'll listen to it. Sure. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to start off by talking about something special that happened at the Aquaman Shrine this week. Actually, I'll let you cover that, Rob. <laughs> oh, well, thank you, Shag. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the way you said it, something special. This is like that episode of Different Strokes. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, we had a we had a very interesting uh, guest this week on the shrine, which was of course none other than Jeff Johns, um, right, writer of Aquaman, writer of Justice League, and many other things, um, and current uh, big poobah at DC Comics. Um, I have to say right off the bat, I feel a little bad. <laughs> <laughs> in, in, ret- in, in retrospect, that we kind of, well, I shouldn't say we, I, goofed on him as much as I did in the last episode. Um, at this point, there would be a, if this was a comic book, there would be an asterisk next to what I just said with a little box down at the bottom that says, see Fire and Water Podcast Episode 5, Stan the Man or whatever. Um, right. But uh, yeah, I goofed on uh, Jeff a little bit about 
supposedly what went on at the Comic-Con and stuff. Um, but a, a little bit. A little bit. Um, but it was all in good fun. And, and you know, I, again, I was more laughing at sort of I, – I wasn't making fun of Jeff personally. I was making fun of, like, the image of him, which is a different thing. You know, it's a different thing. So um, – but right what's, at, what's, What's that sound? Oh, that sounds like uh, a bicycle backpedaling. That's what that sounds a lot like. <laughs> well, hey, I deserve to. Uh, you know, hey, um, yes, I am. I'm backpedaling. I admit that right up front. <laughs> because right after that episode went up, uh, I got a very nice email from DC Comics, which is, you know, like I never thought I'd ever get to say that. Um, and they asked me if I wanted to be part of, I guess – this long series of interviews Jeff was doing with other media outlets, which I do not envy him that. That sounded like – because I, I was on the phone with Jeff after the interview, and I heard him go on to the next interview, which was with Maxim, of all things. Um, <laughs> You're in good company, sir. Yeah, sweet. Um, and it just sounded like he was just going from interview to interview, and that's got to be tedious. you know. No matter how much you like my talk, you much you might, you might like talking about yourself – that's just got to get boring. So I appreciate the fact that, that, that it's so hard to be famous. I guess, I, you know, still <laughs> uh, from what I heard, like press junkets are pretty, pretty grisly. So I appreciated the fact that, um, DC, you know, DC reached out to us. They didn't, you know, I didn't contact them. I didn't, I mean, they know that we've been wanting to talk to Jeff for a long time. And as I told Jeff at, right at the top of the interview, I've wanted to talk to him ever since I heard him on the commentary track to the Challenge of the Super Friends DVD, where he talked about how much he loved Aquaman. And, you know, this was like in, I don't know, whenever I got that DVD, like 2002 or oh, something. Wow. So, I mean, he wasn't like, I mean, he was a name back then, but he wasn't the way, he wasn't the name he is now. And so back then I was like, well, you know, I was like, wow, I want to talk to this guy. And I always have. And it just sort of happened to sort of coalesce perfectly that not only is this guy a fan of Aquaman and he's somebody I've wanted to talk to, well, he's now arguably the most influential Aquaman writer since probably ever. Um, Agreed. I mean, mean, maybe, you know, probably at least since Steve Skeets in the 60s, probably maybe even more than that in terms of just how much he's brought Aquaman to prominence. So um, it just, you know, it all dovetailed very nicely. Um, so it was great. You know, we, I only got about 10 minutes with him, but, but he answered the questions, you know, very, um, completely. And, and, you know, uh, he was sort of thinking on his feet and, uh, you know, it wasn't like kind of rote answers. He, you know, he clearly was thinking about what I was asking him and, um, we had a couple of laughs and, and, you know, it was great. It was great all around. And, you know, any goofing I had on Jeff, you know, it's not like I take it back, but I, I'm certainly like any grudge I had towards DC about like us not getting a chance to talk to Jeff, that's gone. That's just completely gone. And, you know, it was great. It was, and it and it felt like the shrine was, like, filling a hole, if you know what I mean. Like, it just felt weird that we've managed to talk to so many great people, but we never could get to Jeff. That just mm-hmm. felt so strange. And, well, now we've had, you know, now he's on that list of interviews that the shrine has on the sidebar. And it just feels like, okay, you know, like we've really gotten everybody represented. And so I was very, very happy DC included us. DC was also nice enough to mention us on their source blog. That was, that was cool. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, I mean when, when they mention you on the source blog, man, you, you've made it at that point. Yeah, that was very nice. And, um, you know, that I mean, and I even wrote to the guy at DC Publicity. And I said, you know, I grew up on comics. You know, big surprise there. Mostly DCs. And like to have... The company, even though, you know, the company 
is not the same company it was when I was a kid. It's all different people. And then, you know, it's basically a company. It's just a bunch of you know, legal forms sitting somewhere. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, here's DC Comics mentioning something that I created. That's pretty amazing. Like, that's a, that was like a big, you know, like, even at my bitter old age <laughs> that I am, that was still like, wow, you know, here's something I created and DC's mentioning it. That's, that's pretty, to, to someone who, you know, read DC Comics when I was five, that's pretty amazing. So um, it was a great experience all around, and, and uh, we had a bunch of new people. Oh, and I should mention, Jeff also specifically tweeted us that day where he said something like, hey, if you're a new Aquaman fan, go to the Aquaman Shrine. And, you know, we picked up like 100 new followers in like an afternoon. So, um, so that was great. It was just great all around. And it was just, you know, um, you can go to the Aquaman Shrine and, and – um, if you go to the sidebar, there's a little graphic where it says interviews, and you'll see the list of all the interviews we've done, and you'll see the, the link to Jeff's interview. So if you haven't seen it, you can go back and see it. It was, it was a, a great experience all around, and I'm, I'm very um, indebted to DC and to Jeff for, for doing it. I think it's fair to say uh, – well, not fair, but I mean it's – if people are looking for it otherwise besides the sidebar, wasn't it? It was the October 26th posting, isn't that right? Uh, yes, it was. It was Wednesday. We, we okay. put it out on the day Aquaman number two came out. We figured that was the perfect time. So um, it was funny. We ended up talking about Mira almost just as much as Aquaman, probably maybe even a little more, because as much as Jeff has done for Aquaman, which is a lot, um, I think he's done even more for Mira. I mean, I really think, and I said this to him, I think he has almost single, I don't want to single single handedly as if the artists don't count, because of course they do, but I just mean in terms of writing. um, I can't think of any writer that's done more for that character. I mean, he has, he's single handedly brought her from relative obscurity within DC universe to almost a level status. And, uh, and it started with Mera, I guess, in, in Blackest Night, and Mera was a character that, uh, uh, that was kind of off to the side, but I, I thought, uh, fairly well, fairly well known and also full of potential that hadn't been tapped, which is really exciting to explore. And so putting her center stage before Aquaman's even back, but having her, I mean, she really did break out Blackest Night. It was great. Start to gravitate towards the character and, and understand the character and appreciate the character and and have her grow and grow and change and um, uh, and really stand on her own was really important for me because I didn't want to introduce. I want to introduce her as her own character before we brought Aquaman back. And I think it just makes Aquaman stronger to see another character like that uh, in his world. If you look at all the merchandising that's done now of anything that's female centric. Mira is almost always part of it now, and she—that was not the case. I mean, ten years, ten years ago, there was no mer- Mira merchandise, none. Right. And and now every time they do a line of statues or a line of action figures, and it's anything, it's always like the women of the DCU. Mira's in there. It's Wonder Woman, Supergirl, Batgirl, you know, Huntress, Black Canary, and Mira. And that's 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 entirely due to Jeff Johns. And I remember at the time when Blackest Night was coming out. We were picking up a lot of new fans, and Mira was kicking ass in that book. And, you know, people were writing and saying, my God, I didn't know Mira was this cool. And we're like, well, she wasn't always this cool. Sometimes she I know. I mean, pretty she, badly. Um, she, I mean, she was – Blackest Night did so much for her. And really – I don't want to say they changed her, but, I mean, they really accented her differently. Let's put it that way. Because uh, you know, before then – and maybe I'm out of line here, but I always kind of thought of her as like uh, – 
almost like the the Hank Pym of the DC universe. Mm. And like, well, Hank Pym is always carrying around the burden of you know he he knocked around Jan, you know, the Wasp one time, and that always comes up in any run he's in. Well, any run that Mara's in, she pretty much goes insane. You know, prior to Blackest Night, and you can disagree if you'd like, but it seemed like sooner or later she was going to go crazy. Yeah, no, and no, I, no, I don't mean like savage. I just mean like insane. Yeah, no, no, that's true. That's true. I mean, there were some. Yeah, so I, was, I was glad to see Jeff. You know, got put that behind us and, and was able to you know show her in a new light, which is fantastic. She's a great character. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and uh, you know, I'm I'm happy that uh, he's with her. She was always one of my favorite aspects of the character and i'm glad that uh that he's done so much with her and you know i mean if i mean the book could probably end up just being called aquaman and mira i think it would almost better reflect the series but uh, you know there's probably some contractual things and some copyright things in terms of and i think we talked about in the previous episode it's also just shorter to call it right. aquaman um but but you know the, <laughs> but you want to talk about length of a name yeah Fire, the fury the of firestorm fire from the, the nuclear man yeah um you know so uh, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, yeah. Well, it was important. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's probably true. No, uh, yeah, he really, you know, made her just as important as a character to the concept, um, and, uh, of Aquaman, not just Aquaman himself, but the whole, you know, the whole universe. And so, uh, you know, um, you know, it was, again, it was just great to get to talk to him and, and talk about these characters that uh, I think he's done such a good job on. It's a great interview, Rob. Really uh, great job. I think your questions were very intelligently and very completely written. Um, a lot of times, you know, people, they're, they're, they're fishing or they're doing whatever with the question. Your, your questions were dead on where they needed to be. Thank you. Um, they're about the spirit of the character. You weren't trying to get, you know, details out of them. What's going to happen next in the series? Well, yeah. And, and was, you, you treated it right. Yeah, thank you. And I tried to let him know that. And I try, every time I've ever tried to contact him before this, I always stress that because I always figured, you know, he's got to get tired of being interviewed and being asked, so what's going to happen in issue number four? Why do you want to know that? I want to read it. I, why do I want to hear? And, you know, like, I, you shouldn't ask, as an interviewer, you shouldn't ask that question. And he's not going to answer it anyway. Exactly. So, I mean, so I always tried to get that across anytime there was some communication between the two of us, which is always through some third person because I, I, I had no way of contacting him directly. But I always tried to get that across. I was like, look, I I'm not looking for spoilers. I, I want to talk to you about why you love the character, which is why, even though DC sort of wanted to stress the new series, I was like, well, look, the first question I'm going to ask is, why Aquaman? And, mm -hmm. and that was the question I wanted to know more than anything else, because, you know, why? Why Why are you – I mean, this is a guy who could have picked probably any book he wanted to write in the New 52. I'm sure that when all that got hatched, he could have said, guess what, guys? I want to write Superman and Batman and Flash, you know, and they would have been like, yes, sir. You know? <laughs> or I'm writing Bawanabees. Yeah, exactly. Okay. You know? But he chose to write Aquaman, and uh, to me, that's worthy of ex exploring, you know, why. So uh, – uh, so thank you. Say thank you. It was, I, it was a, you know, Jeff. It was great. It was just great all around. Now, now that you've made this connection with him, you know, I'm assuming you, you know, you got his digits and everything. And we're going to be doing like a drunk dialing with him <laughs> later on in the show, right? <laughs> yes, uh, I called him at three in the morning and taped it. So that's going to be the uh, stinger at the end of the episode. It's, awesome. It's be great. Listen for that, folks. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, in other news, we're going to talk about Firestorm. Last time we got together and had our little fireside chat, we talked about... Oh, I like uh, that. Uh, fireside chat. That's good. 
that was totally unintentional, That's but I'm going to pretend I meant that. So um, I, I brought up uh, the unfortunate rumor that Gail Simone had walked off of the Firestorm book, and you know, it had been there was a rumor from Bleeding Cool, and at the time there had been no follow up at all from Gail uh, or Ethan Van Skyver about it, and so I was just kind of going in the assumption that it was there was probably some huge element of truth to it. Well, I'm happy to report that this pa- this past weekend uh, on Twitter, Gail did what is the smartest thing to do as a writer. She never acknowledged the rumor. She never mentioned the rumor. She never said yes, no, anything. But she happened to put out a very casual tweet that said, doing corrections on Firestorm 6. Uh, and then she, she actually made it funny. She goes, and there's a word I'm not spelling even close enough for spell check to catch. <laughs> but um, so it's... It was a very clever way to say, hey, I'm still writing Firestorm, uh, and sort of deal with that rumor. So I was very pleased about that. So we're now able to say um, with confidence that Gail's staying on the book, at least through issue six. You know, could she be leaving afterwards? It's possible. Uh, we're hearing, I don't know if you've heard, Rob, but I've heard about several writers that are changing their plans after the first story arc. After the Yeah, first, I have heard that. They're, yeah. they're leaving and switching around. And, you know, that's understandable. I mean, when you launch 52 brand-new books... There's, without a doubt, there's going to be some juggling. And, you know, some of the writers are obviously nice enough to stay on through the whole first, basically, trade paperback, if you will. Well, I heard there's a lot of fighting for the new Slipknot book. Uh, there could be. There could be, although I think it's pretty much decided that Judd Winnick's got that one. But um, I don't know anyway. why they're fighting since there's going to be more than one Slipknot book. There's, I don't right. understand. And that, well, you know, one of our listeners helped us identify 52, potentially. <laughs> so... Um, so anyway, it's, it was just it was a joyous day when I saw that tweet. I just was over the moon about that to hear that Gail's still doing it. She was sort of off the radar for a while. She wasn't even mentioning Firestorm, and now she's back. She was tweeting it hard and fast again, and uh, so I'm I'm really excited about that because she's such a great lady, and she's so nice, and she she's so supportive of, of Firestorm fans. She's in very very uh, interactive with the fans, which I just think is so cool that you know in this day and age you can just put a question out there on Twitter and you know what, you know, as long as it's not, you know, you're asking for plot revelations, you're probably going to respond. <laughs> Dear so. Gail, what happens in number seven? Thank you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Little Russell Burbage wants to know. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, that's, that's my big firestorm news. Very jazzed about that. And, um, you know, with that, I'm, I'm probably going to just go right into Firestorm number two because I don't feel like listening to you talk about that fish guy anymore. If that's okay. I'm sorry, I was reading something. What, right. Uh, are right. you Are you not done talking? Oh, oh you you were reading Savage Voodoo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks. Uh, There's a little bit of comedy there for all you to enjoy. Right. Just in case you were wondering, that was humor. You may laugh. <laughs> so. Well done, Rob. That's a good office laugh. Thank That's you. good. I appreciate it. Uh, you've been practicing that. But, oh, <laughs> good one there, chum. You have made a humorous remark. <laughs> Insert laugh here so the boss doesn't fire me. All right. So, The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number two, uh, Nuclear Men. Damn, I, you know, <clears throat> it's funny. You're getting nuclear right now. You, you, I, you've, oh, you've gotten that like right like four times in a row, and now but it's the man it, and the men you're having the problem with. I think I got it right, and then I think I got it wrong. Right? Anyway, no, I think you, no, I think you're okay. Well, you, you, you listeners at home, you can rewind the rewind the tape and listen. Try, right. Trust me, Shaq. I'm listening for every little mistake, so I, uh, wow. I don't think you've made any so far. 
That's, that's, that's great. That's good to know you're watching me so closely. I'm jotting uh, it down. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Co-plotters, Ethan Van Skyver and Gail Simone. Writer, Gail Simone. Artist, Gildare Sonar. Colorist, Steve Busolato. I believe is how you say it. And um, Travis Lanham is a letterer. Ethan did the cover with High Fidel or with Hi-Fi. And then uh, you've got the rest of the gang there, including what I love to see every issue, Firestorm created by Jerry Conway and Al Milgram. That makes me so happy. Yes, I like those creator credits. I just it, – it just warms the heart. So, And I'm sure uh, so do Jerry and Al and Jerry and Al's lawyers. <laughs> Most definitely. So um, – well, straight up, I love this issue. I thought it was great. It was very different from number one because number one, uh, uh, you may recall we talked previously, was uh, it covered a very large period of time. You know, it, co- it spanned several days, uh, and you know, it was, there was a lot of different breakdown of scenes. There was a lot going on in number one. While this one was still very fast-paced and full of a lot of stuff, it was in a much more time-compressed event. I mean, I think the span of this issue is two hours, so. Um, they they really had to dig in and, and tell a lot of story here. Um, by the way, you know I think it's fair to say, folks, there's going to be spoilers here. If you haven't read Firestorm number two or Aquaman number two, and you don't want them spoiled, you're probably listening to the wrong show. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying there's probably like a cooking podcast or something you could be listening right now to instead. You know, your choice. Uh, but we're gonna we're gonna spoil some stuff, and you know that's good for us and bad for you. Well, that's unnecessarily aggressive, but all right, move on. <laughs> yeah, because I'm always the shy, demure kind of guy, right? <laughs> so, uh, where we left off last, Ronnie and Jason had transformed into Firestorm, and then they merged to form Fury, the enormous 10-foot-tall nuclear being. And uh, and this one start, you know, picks up you know, Fury is face-to-face with this other teenager, Tanya, and uh, we get this really cool scene, and, and we're going to find out more about it later, where she touches him, and then she experiences a vision. Um, so I don't know whether Tanya has gained her own powers from exposure to the, that magnetic bottle, you know, uh, whether she's gained some of her own superhero powers, or just she, maybe she had them innately, or maybe it's just being that close to Fury does that to people. But she saw the moon as like a blood-red moon with the the fury symbol on it like emblazoned on it so it's a uh, it's pretty interesting sort of mythology building moments there that uh hopefully will pay off down the road uh one of my favorite things about this new character fury is we've seen him for a long time he has these like energy things that come out of his chest emblem i don't know if you noticed but he actually grabs these energy tendrils and uses them like a whip <laughs> That's, that's so cool, because, I mean, you see energy all the time in comics. You know, Flash has got lightning coming out of him. You know, Green Lantern's got just green energy pouring out of him. But no one ever just grabs the energy and physically uses it as a weapon. I just thought that was, that's so creative. Very clever. He actually, at one point, uses it and whips it around this guy and cuts his arm off. So. Yes, that was the one moment that I have to say, I was like a little like, wait a minute. When he gets his arm cut off and he goes, hey, my arm's been cut off. <laughs> like... Yeah. <laughs> you really kind of do. I think if you, I mean, I, I haven't experienced this and I hope I never will, but I like to think that if your arm gets cut off, you don't stand back and acknowledge that. I think at that point you're just screaming, <laughs> like uncontrollably. Probably your true. Your arm's been cut off as opposed to, huh, look at that. Funny thing. My arm's way over there. You know, it's like. Funny thing happened on the way to kill the teenagers. Uh, my arm got cut off. <laughs> um, well, that guy's pal is Cliff Carmichael. 
in this episode, in this issue. So we get to see a lot more of Cliff. And for you uh, long-term match heads, uh, I'm hoping you, you caught this. I mean, it's pretty much in your face. I don't see how you couldn't. But, you know, they're, they're, um, they're the dog team, the, the mercenaries are. But then they've called in their, their covert ops team, the hyenas. And Firestorm had a long-term villain in the original continuity of, named the hyena. He used to battle quite often. So reapplying that hyena persona as a team of uh, villains who have sort of hyena-like traits, I thought that was pretty clever. That's a good uh, modernization for them, I think. You know, this is, this is sort of an interactive session of the podcast, Rob. Um, if you'd like to put down the Savage Red Hood and Outlaws or whatever it is, you, you could talk. I think oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm busy watching the World Series and also tracking my eBay auctions. I'm sorry. I'm right. multitasking. I'm sorry. You did read the comic, right? <laughs> Savage Hawkman? Yes. Yes, I did. Oh, crap. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, 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 first of all, I just want to let you prattle on for a little because apparently we had some complaints that the last episode did not have enough Firestorm content. So I didn't know that there were people out there with their levels, you know, checking the <laughs> perfect level of Firestorm content vis-a-vis the Aquaman level of content. So I, I figured, you know, I'll just let, uh, let's get all the boring stuff out of the way first and then we'll get to the Aquaman stuff. So I'm just trying to get to the Aquaman stuff as fast as possible by not interrupting. See, see, my plan is once you talk to the Aquaman stuff, I'm going to interrupt you and, you know, provide insightful commentary so when people are, like, bored listening to you. Yeah, but I'm going to edit edit all that out, so. You usually do. (laughs) I mean, you've edited out my yodeling, my Firestorm yodeling every episode so far. I I would appreciate it. I put a lot of effort into that. Just leave it in. Your Firestorm, your your, um, Fury of Firestorm, the sexy nuclear men fanfic is just uh, deeply upsetting. That was a dramatic reading. <laughs> and I, I, I was in character. Okay. Anyway, we'll just leave it at that. Um, I get what I will say about Firestorm is just a little like in, in, in contrast to Aquaman, which moves kind of slowly. It, it reading Firestorm is like trying to run a marathon or trying to run a sprint because just so much happens in such a small space that at times I'm like, wait, what? And then I go back, wait, wait, who's that? You know, like it's just moving. <laughs> it moves at such a breakneck pace. And I'm not saying that that makes it better or worse than Aquaman. It's just very different to read the books sort of back to back because Aquaman is, you know, very, then this happens, then that happens, and then this thing happens, and then it's over. And Firestorm's like, da 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 here's 19 more characters, da 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 and then this explosion, and there's this giant monster, and then there's a, you know, it's like, holy jeez. So it, I love it. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, you know, it's, I, I, you know, the New 52 as a, as a line, I hope it has like a diverse... Look, you know, diverse look and a diverse feel. Not all the books should just feel the same. It's one of the things I liked about DC is that they don't have a house style. Marvel does, and you can argue, you know, whether you like the house style or not. But if you don't like, if you don't like the Marvel style, you're not going to like any Marvel book. Yeah. Almost there are some, there are definitely some exceptions. But for the most part, there's a Marvel style, and if you don't like the Marvel style, you're not going to like any Marvel comic. DC DC doesn't have that, has never had that. And one of the things I was scared of with the New 52 by starting everybody over was that they were going to try and go closer to the Marvel thing, which was like, you know, having a DC house style. Mm-hmm. And I think they're, I think they, they inched closer to the Marvel kind of thing with the New 52, but they've managed to keep some differences. And that's, re- like I said, reading Aquaman and Firestorm, you know, in, purposely because we have the show, it, it's just neat to see the two very different approaches. Absolutely. 
You're, you're absolutely right about that. Um, and, and like, and, and I agree with your statement that it's it's hard to say one's better than the other. They're just very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I I dig the breakneck speed. I I, I sort of <sighs> see. I was about to compare them again. Um, I do feel like I get my two ninety nine worth out of Firestorm, and it's like wow, holy crap, a lot just happened. So I hope this. I hope the pace keeps up. Actually, I uh, I'm really digging it. So. I, and I love, um, I mean, like I said, there are times where I, I didn't fully understand what's going on or, you know, I'm like, wait, what? And I go back. But I love um, uh, Il de Rey Sonar's work. I mean, I really love it. I, I, I find it just a pure pleasure to look at. I just think, I, I love that they're, you know, that he's adding these tones. Um, and, and, you know, this is like, that's not necessarily a book you would think would go for that look. Because it's a very sort of fantasy, science fiction-y type of scenario and yet his pencils and his washes and the tones he puts in is a little more painterly and like it just it just would not be the kind of book I would associate with that look and yet I really like it and I think it works there there are times where, where combined with his work with the coloring by um, what's the colorist name again I'm gonna say his name wrong but it's it's Steve Bussoletto okay that's close enough um, like combined, <laughs> it's easy for you to say it's close enough. Yeah, he well, might be. He probably might be listening home, going, "What the heck?" I, I doubt he's listening at home. Um, but uh, like combined with that, his coloring, there are there are pages in that book where I almost feel like the heat coming off the pages. Like you feel like the character, you almost feel like the characters are in this space that's incredibly hot and humid and muggy. And I think it, I think he pulls that off partly by kind of, you know, weakening the black lines. And as we say in the printing, uh, sometimes a little too much weakening of the black lines. But um, he conveys a a feeling and a a, a mood uh, with his pencils, with his his work that, um, you know, I find very interesting. And it's not something I would have expected out of of something like Firestorm. I I agree. One of the things I think that I always jump out at me with his stuff is the body language he gives the characters conveys so much. Sometimes people draw a cool character, but they're just in a heroic pose. I mean, each one of these characters have a tremendous amount of body language going on and the expressions are just, there's a lot going on. Like I'm looking at a particular panel of Ronnie looking at, at Jason and there's just the slightest hint of a sneer going on when Ronnie's calling him a jerk. I mean, it's just, it's it's all right there. He he puts it all into the facial expressions, and it just he's an excellent artist. And I've talked at ad nauseum previously about as what you just were talking about, which is like you know the ink washes and his style of inking, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. He is a phenomenal artist, and I think it was a real catch to get him on Firestorm. What was he on? Was he doing something Le- before Le- this? Yeah, Le- Legion of Superheroes. Really? That's yes. interesting. Okay, again, that's not a book I would associate with. A guy with that kind of style. It's interesting. It, 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 he seems to have a more naturalistic. Like mm-hmm. I, I could see him on like a Conan. Oh yeah, absolutely. Type, type thing. Absolutely. So it's interesting. It keeps interesting. It keeps getting these more sci-fi driven concepts. It's it's you know it, that that's that, that's neat. You know, it's kind of interesting. You mentioned that um, Raphael K. Yannon drew Fury of Firestorm back in the eighties quite a bit, and he eventually went on, and he's now a Conan artist. Oh, is so, he really? Yeah. Okay, that's so it's nice. just, I think there's maybe some history there of uh, fantasy artists and, and our, uh, our, nu- our nuclear men. There you go. That'll so. be the next DC Marvel team-up book, the Firestorm and Conan the Barbarian. Uh, I've already got three fanfics written, but anyway. Um, oh, I should th- – you know what? Before anybody corrects me on the email, I just realized 
Marvel doesn't own Conan anymore. It would be a DC Dark Horse team up if they did that. Sorry. There it is. Old habits die hard. <laughs> now, you mentioned the printing, and I think it's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to finish going through the book in a minute, but I think you got to mention the printing. For those of you who may not have picked up on it, um, there was a printing error on issue number two. And it's really obvious, as Rob said. I mean, the on certain pages, and I don't even know exactly. I don't even want to just say it was the black dropped out because there's black in certain places, but some of the coloring just didn't come across the way it was supposed to. And it does appear to be a lot in relation to the darker tones. Um, uh, if you go out to FirestormFan.com and look at the October 27th posting. It's called Printing Problems with Fury of Firestorm Number 2. You, <laughs> and doesn't that sound like a fun post? Well, I, you know, I, 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 I really struggled on that title. but I, <laughs> Printing <it's>, Problems. <laughs> I just figured I better just go for it. Anyway, um, I, I tried to show, to demonstrate, so folks could see what's going on here. I, I showed the black and white version by Yildiray uh, of a particular page. I then showed the digital version of that page that was on the DC Source blog. And then I showed the printed version. And it's striking, the differences yeah, between – the I mean, it's just – you look at one, you look at the other, you're like, whoa! I mean, it just – it doesn't look terrible because, you know, you can still see Yildiray's art underneath there. But it certainly doesn't do credit to um, Steve Busolato's uh, coloring at all. I mean, I feel bad for both Yildiray and Steve. I, they're, they clearly have poured their heart and soul into this book. I mean, they really have. They – I think both of them have done some amazing things on these pages, and the printing problems in issue number two are, i got to imagine, heartbreaking for them. Yeah, I mean, I, there's there, there were points where I thought it looked funny, but I thought it was, like, on purpose. Mm-hmm. And then there were some pages where I'm like, no, 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 that's clearly wrong, because the, the, the black is almost completely gone. So, yeah, it, it, you know, it, to me it almost worked. In some in some ways, and then other ones are like, no, this is just is just a mistake. Yeah, and um, you know, it's it's fair to say it's not as obvious on every page. I mean, there's certain pages that look just perfectly fine, but then there's other pages like uh, you know, some of the earlier pages, uh, the page with the introduction of Zither, uh, who's a major villain or or well, maybe not a villain, but character of of note, person of interest. Uh, she's almost completely washed out. So and, and Rob, you said you have the digital version. Yeah. And you said that it's this, the problem continues in a lot of the digital pages. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That page you mentioned—that's the name of that character. I forget the the one with the the the, the metal, woman with the, the metal with the half metal half mask. Yeah. yeah it's, her character named Zither. Um, Ethan told me on Facebook that that's actually just because I was I, I I looked up Zither. Listen to like, you—the way that just, you just dropped that. Well, Ethan, you like that? You Ethan, like that? Ethan told me. Bah, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm totally name-dropping. Uh, well, what happened was I, I, I looked up Zither. I'm like, hmm, I wonder what that means. It's a European musical instrument. Yes, it is. And I'm like, that doesn't really strike me. In, in, unless she's the new fiddler or maestro, I don't really know that that's a cool name for a character. <laughs> and so I asked Ethan. I'm like, is there another definition on Facebook? I I asked Mr. Van Skyver on Facebook, um, <laughs> is, is there another – definition for zither that i just not picking up on and he he just you know as if to imply you know he, anyway it was a very nice response he's just like it's her last name i was like oh duh <laughs> okay <laughs> and then gail uh simone actually popped in and said who said she's the villain by the way so now i'm like oh? mm. 
because she sure seems I mean, she's in charge of the dog team. So you know, anyway. So I'm now I'm really curious to see where it's going. But the the printing she is really washed out there, which is uh, yeah. That was that was the page where I went mm, no 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 that's wrong something's wrong. Because I've actually been debating uh, picking up the digital version as well, just to see. Because I mean, the colors look so good, dude. Uh, I mean, the the page that came off the DC blog. I mean, they're gorgeous. Yeah. I, I want to see this book as it was intended, you know. And, and I'll definitely pick up the trade paperback because I assume they'll have it fixed by then. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, of course, my dream would be, and I saw somebody post this that they they ought to give everyone who bought number two a certificate and, uh, for a, a new printing version. Um, but you know that that's not going to happen. But uh, <laughs> sometimes you just have to move on with your life. <laughs> right. I, I think that's probably right. <laughs> so anyway, the, there are printing problems with number two. Just know as you read it. You know, I've seen some people say, "Yeah, number two is good," but the art's not quite what it should be. And it's like, well, that's not the artist's fault. Right. And it's not the colorist's fault. You know, it's the printing press issue. So that's it's very disappointing. So, all right. Um, jumping back into the story. Uh, it's cool to see Fury again. You know, we talked about his power with the whip, but here's something interesting. This has got me scratching my head. They show Jason and Ronnie inside Fury talking to each other, which is pretty cool. Uh, that they're not just absorbed into the consciousness of Fury; they actually exist as independent, you know, mental constructs inside Fury, and they're able to communicate with each other, which is kind of cool. It's sort of reminiscent of what went on during the Blank Slate version of Firestorm, where Ronnie and Mikhail Arkadin could communicate. And would look out and basically see what the Firestorm entity was doing at that point. So there, there's some similarities there. It leads me to wonder, especially when they say a line here, it says, uh, I think we're inside a walking nuclear meltdown, and I think there's someone else in here. So it's making me wonder, you know, the Fury personality that apparently likes the word sweet cheeks. Um, <laughs> Mel Gibson. Right. Is, is the Fury personality somebody? You know, is it an existing character? Could it be, I don't know, Professor Stein's id? Could it be um, their friend Trev who got shot through the head in issue one and it was there during the big explosion? You know, maybe he got into the mix somehow. That seems you know, like a good, that seems like a, a reasonable guess. Yeah, so, I mean, it got me wondering, you know, what, what could be doing this. So, I mean, because I, I, I hadn't even considered that Fury's personality might be coming from somewhere. I just kind of thought, okay, it's, it's like the Hulk, you know, here's personality. But maybe it's coming from some other entity other than Ronnie and Jason. So, you know, I'm, I'm inquiring minds want to know. So, some, they talk about Professor Stein a little bit, and in Batgirl number two, there was a scene where um, a subway goes rattling by and spray painted on the bo- on the back. It said something to the effect of Professor Stein is alive. Yeah, I saw that. It's, it's interesting. That was super cool. I mean, to, to throw it in Batgirl as just kind of a throwaway thing in the background, I was like, oh, that's so freaking cool. You know, because you never know what graffiti is, you know, whether it's real or not. So it's like, it's got you wondering, like, ooh, will they bring the professor back? I certainly hope so. Um, in fact, Frank called me out on it. He's like, hey, you, you mentioned... You love the professor. Why haven't you uh, given your expounded upon your love of the professors? I'm just not ready. I'm just not ready. <laughs> Why don't you back off, Frank? <laughs> so uh, there's there's actually a lot of development for Ronnie and Jason. They took the characters as they were in issue one and really took them 
a lot further. There was there were some people on Twitter and, and Facebook and stuff who were saying that they didn't feel like Ronnie and Jason were developed very well in the first issue, but I don't think anyone can say now that they weren't. They they've they showed both characters as still having a little bit of a chip on their shoulders, but at the same time they're real kids. You know, uh, I, I feel for them. I totally get where they're coming from, and I I, I, I dig them both. They I, they both to me feel like what Ronnie and Jason should. They don't feel like a complete new reinvention. They don't feel like some, you know, like a completely different character. They feel like what Ronnie and Jason should, just they've put them in this new setting and, and you know, reset, rebooted them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can understand the, um, the, the the remark about, like, you know, they maybe feel like they're a little under underdeveloped. I, I can I can testify to that a little. I'm, I'm having a little bit of a tough time kind of hooking into them. But I also think that um, in, in any sort of work of popular fiction – you can tell certain things are more plot-driven and some things are more character-driven. And, again, it's not that one approach is better or worse than the other. But to me, clearly, in the beginning, Gale and Ethan are – I'll call him Mr. Van Skyver because I don't know him like you do. Um, <laughs> uh, it's funny when you say Mr. Van Skyver. It sounds like a guy with, like, a pipe and a smoking jacket and a oh, library. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except all of his books are, you know, bound archive editions of <laughs> DC superhero comics. Actually, it's, it's a study, not it's a lot. Study, yeah. Um, but I and, mean, he, I, and, he, and he has like the, the robots from MST3K, but that's. <laughs> I don't know where that came from, but anyway. Um, he, actually has, he actually has them. He has pictures of them. Does he really? <laughs> On his Facebook. Oh, yeah. Good for him. That's awesome. I'd love to have a Crow D robot. Um, but like, I, I just think you can read those first two issues and clearly see that they are trying to hit the ground running in terms of plot. You know, they're just it's it's a it's a ton of events happening that they're hoping to catch you up on and you're just carted along for the ride now of course you want to care for the characters but i just feel like right now they're not as concerned with all the emotional details of all the characters in the beginning and more kind of get you wrapped up in the events which is why they're trying to cram so much into the i mean more happens i'm gonna i'm gonna bet i'm gonna make a guess here that the first year of aquaman is not going to have as much plot as the first three issues of Firestorm are going to have. <laughs> and again, I, again, it's not that's that's not a better or worse either or. It's just it's just a different approach. And I just think that that's what it, that's what it seems like. Um, Gail and Ethan are trying to do is is is, is a more plot centric book as opposed to a character centric book. And you know that might leave the characters a little underdeveloped. But, you know, you should give it a chance and see where it goes. And if, you know, maybe after six months, you're still at the same level of them that you were at the beginning, maybe then you'd be like, well, all right, this isn't going to go anywhere. But, you know, the first, it's tough to judge any comic book on two issues. Right. But I, I totally agree that um, that the plot-driven – like, that's a good way to describe because we, we've talked a little bit about the difference between Aquaman and Firestorm, and I think that's that's it right there. You know, one's plot-driven, one's character-driven. Yeah. And that's why they have such a different pace. So, well surmised, sir. Thank well you. Done. Thank you. Thank goodness you finally contributed some to this stupid show. Um, oh, man. <laughs> the hyenas, I, I really liked them. I, I didn't think I would at first. When I first saw them, I'm like, oh, what is this? And then, you know, after a, a page or two, I'm like, oh, you know, they're, they're hyped up on drugs. They're Apparently tweakers. I guess that's slang for um, drug users. I don't know. I'm not cool and young, so I don't know that. <laughs> These kids today. But uh, I, I kind of dug that. I I thought that was a cool, uh, you know, modernization. And um, you know, and then you end on a great cliffhanger where Jason's about to take a bullet through the brain pan, and Ronnie's, you know, trying to decide if it's worth it or not. 
well, they're not really friends, so. <laughs> but uh, all in all, a very good issue. Uh, breakneck pace. Learn a lot about the characters. Gorgeous artwork. Um, when you see the correctly printed or colored pages, gorgeous coloring. Uh, all in all, it's a great book. I think uh, it's a strong script from Gale. It's a great plot they came up with together. And uh, I'm dying for issue three already. Do you know how well it's selling? Do you know where it is in the in the in the grand scheme of the new Fifty Two? Well, to some extent, yeah. Number one uh, came out, and it was on the out of, out of like Diamond Comics list of top selling comics. It was number forty six. That's pretty good uh, for September, which is actually really good. Um, and that that's only the hard copy that does not include. The digital versions, DC hasn't released their, at least to my knowledge, maybe they have now, but they hadn't released their digital version sales. Oh, but, that's interesting. So it was number 46 of all comics, but if you were to just, if you just extract the New 52 books, you know, if you ignore everything else, because I mean, amongst the, that, that list is Marvel Comics and Dark Horse and all that right, stuff. Right. Um, but if you extract just the New 52, it actually came in... Um, Number 30 out of the 52. Okay, so, you know, almost dead center. Yeah, so which is pretty good. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it beat out um, Savage Hawkman. So, uh, I say that, I'm actually double-checking. Oh, crap, it didn't. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> man, insert foot. Somewhere um, Luke is laughing. Yes, you know, Jack and Nettie. Uh, but, you know, it, it did outsell things like Legion of Superheroes, uh, Suicide Squad. Actually, there were some really shocking things that outsold. It actually outsold X-Men. Uh, it outsold Secret Avengers, Wolverine, Legion of Superheroes, Animal Man, Blue Beetle, and a whole bunch of other comics that month. Wow. So, I mean, when I saw it, outsold X-Men. And admittedly, there was like 18 X-Men titles, but this is just <laughs> X-Men. Anyway, I was like, holy crap, you know, wow. Uh, it was not, you know... Aquaman level. You know, Aquaman wow. came in number 16. Ah, out yes. of that. Uh, you're welcome, DC. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so it's, I mean, selling decently well. It's certainly, you know, if once DC, sooner or later, they're going to have to cull some of the bottom ones, yep. you know. And, uh, oh, by the way, I got to mention this. And this is not intended to be snide, but it's probably going to come off that way because, you know, I'm irredeemable. But the, 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 50, the new 52 book that sold the least number of copies for number one. Do you know what the title was? Um, I'm going to guess it was... Uh, hmm, which one would I guess? I'm going to guess it's like Static Shock or or like a, uh, the, the Voodoo book, maybe. Okay. Um, those are reasonable guesses. They're both wrong. Okay. Uh, you should get used to that being wrong. But um, it was actually OMAC. Oh, I should have guessed Homac, actually. There's no and, way that book appeals to a lot of people. <laughs> and a, who's the writer of that book? That would be Dan Didio and Keith Giffen. Dan Didio, the, the architect, really, <laughs> of, chief ar- architect of the New 52. So, uh, I don't I, If I was him, I'd feel like it was a little bit of a slap in the face. Um, kind of like... His idea and his book sold the least. So, I, I, uh, I got the sense from reading OMAC that that was done, I, I don't want to say as a goof, but almost just like, look, we know this is not going to be popular and we don't care. We're going to just do the book we want to do. And that's what I like about it. I mean, I actually sort of enjoyed the, the sort of what the hell kind of feel to that book. I, it's, it, it's, I think it's a project of love as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and actually, I've been, I, I think we may have talked about it earlier on a previous podcast. I, I enjoyed it. 
I, uh, for the most part, the, the writing wasn't my favorite. Like, <laughs> I said this on a different show. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to be mean. It's a different show? Yeah, I do other shows too, you know. Um, oh my I'm, God. I'm, I'm internet famous, in case you're You wondering. know, you do one podcast with somebody, that's like doing a podcast with all the other people that they've done podcasts with. Wow, that that line was on another podcast I was on. Um, anyway. <laughs> so, like, if you were to take OMAC and just remove all the word balloons and just have the art, I'd buy that book. Because it's just <laughs> gorgeous. I mean, seeing Keith Giffen draw, you know, like Jack Kirby, yeah. it's, just, it's just beautiful. So, it, it's fun. He's got this enormous freaking glowing mohawk. I mean, it's so cool. <laughs> Anyway, uh, really has nothing to do with fire. <laughs> we'll be back with the OMAC podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, interesting trivia fact for you: Fury Firestorm number two here uh, on the cover is uh, Fury and Cliff Carmichael and some other guy from the dog team. And this is only the fourth time in 34 years that Cliff Carmichael has made the cover of a comic. <laughs> that was that was you said that was interesting trivia. Yeah, the more you know. That was interesting trivia. She put the little NBC rainbow. The more okay. you know effect. All right, I, I I'm gonna argue that was just trivia, but that's all right. Or trivial, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um. Well, what, tell you what. Why don't we take a break? Yes, I think we need one. Uh, I know I need one because I need to get my pillow and my blanket and snuggle in and get ready <laughs> and to your take sleeping, a nap. Your sleeping cap and your Star Wars sheets. Hey, I have Star Wars sheets. Don't knock those. <laughs> um, and then uh, when we come back, folks, we're going to talk about that guy who talks to fish, number two. And we're going to do some listener feedback. And then we'll, we'll bring it on home. That's right. All right. See you in a minute. Come on back, folks. You're not seeing things, Jim. That's just what it is. Aquaman. Hi, Jim, Pete, and Mara. What are the king and queen of Atlantis doing out here? Uh, hi, I'm Joe Prado, and you're listening to Fire and Water Podcast. All right, folks, we are back for part two of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of Firestorm Fan and the Aquaman Shrine. Uh, right off the bat, have to public the retraction. Uh, since we went to break, we've received several ugly letters from folks. Um, I got a call from Mr. Van Skyver himself, um, letting me know that he does not, in fact, own the MST3K robots. That was someone named Don Sowers posting that on Ethan Van Skyver's wall. So consider this an official retraction and apology to Mr. Van Skyver and, um, you know, we will be careful in the future, and please let your lawyers know they don't need to send any more of those letters to us. Yeah, what do you mean, we? I didn't get it wrong. It didn't come to you, too? Okay. Okay. Well, just I'm just saying I didn't make the mistake. A little something to help me sleep tonight, I guess. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are now going to talk about Aquaman number two. That's right. Uh, yes, well, obviously the eagerly, uh, to say the least, awaited second issue. Um, I cannot... Uh, imagine that the first issue could have been better received than the way it was. I mean, people just went nuts uh, for Aquaman number one. And, and you know, um, it sold over 100,000 copies, which means you have something like, uh, I think, 87,000 new fans, <laughs> I think, <laughs> compared to how many bought the last Aquaman comic. Um, people really seemed to love it. I mean, there were some people that, that weren't as, as fanatical as others, of course, but um, 
And there were some people that said this is the best Aquaman comic ever written. No, um, but uh, but it was it was you know a great a great start. And so um, the second issue, just just to briefly skip through the plot, it picks up basically right where the first one left off, where you see a bunch of fishermen having run afoul of the trench which are these nasty alien fish-looking guys with big, sharp, quickly teeth. And um, they uh, rip into the fishermen uh, something fierce. There's a nice little detail where you see that the trench don't treat each other with very much respect because one of the fishermen gets off like a, a, like a, a flare, like a, you know, one of those, you know, one of those flare guns off in the face of one of the trench and sets the guy on fire. And as the trench creature is sort of writhing in pain, the other trench members just start eating him. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's, it's, it's hard out there for a trench, you know? I mean, they, they don't, they, you don't get a lot, of, uh, a lot of quarter there from those guys. Um, so anyway, they eat up the fishermen, and then they see the lights of the city, which, of course, to them means more food. Um, so they head to the city, and uh, uh, there's kind of a grim moment where you see the reverse shot of a little boy standing on the deck, um, eagerly awaiting his father coming home, and uh, obviously we know he's going to be a quick snack for one of the trench. Um, <laughs> I, I got to point something out here. Um, when we last talked about Aquaman number one, we talked about the trench um, quite a bit, and 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 you had made a, a funny comment about something like, or we were saying how we liked how the trench were just a, you know a species, and they're going to you know, Aquaman's going to have to be dealing with the savage species, and you said it's not like we'll be dealing with the king of. The uh, we'll be dealing with the king of the trench, and you know who won't be you know having big speeches and stuff with Aquaman. And sure enough, they introduced in this one at least a unique trench member. Yeah, they did. I mean, again, <laughs> I mean, at least again, at least it's not. I I, I get very bored with very erudite villains, you know, right. villains that are like, well, hello, yes, and they're all very classy. I just feel like um, like after Alan Rickman was in Die Hard, like every mm-hmm. action movie had the erudite British villain. That yeah. was very, and it just got old to me so fast. Um, and I think a lot of that's built in the comics. And so it was kind of nice, you know, to have, you know, just a bunch of really nasty, mindless bad guys. Um, even though, as we see, there's some of them are a little less mindless than others. Um, well, I'm officially calling that guy the king of the trench. The king of the trench. Just so, simply because you said we wouldn't have one, and now it appears we have at least somebody. Oh, that's a nice attitude to take. Um, so anyway... <laughs> Um, so anyway, the, the, the trench arrive and then we cut to, um, Aquaman, uh, back at his, uh, cool pad with Mira and, uh, they are looking at some old, uh, family photo albums and there's a cute shot of, uh, young Arthur Curry, um, skiing for the first time, which is cute. Um, and Mira is sort of talking to him about his past and, and whatever. And, um, there's like a little bit of a, of an interesting moment where there's a photo of Tom Curry and then young Arthur Curry and another man, and mm-hmm. Mira, Mira says, well, who is that? And Arthur sort of just says something like, that picture shouldn't even be in there. And before they can expound on that, there's a knock at the door. It's a sheriff's deputy who is basically coming to help for Aquaman. And there's a little bit of comedy there where the, the sheriff's deputy calls her Aquawoman, and she's like, no, that's not my name, and, you know, whatever. And then so they go to, they follow the sheriff's deputy, and they see the... Um, you know, wreckage that the trench uh, has uh, caused. And Aquaman scans the water, and he sees that there is nothing. Uh, No fish, no sea life, no nothing. Um, And so he's like, well, what the hell is that? And then 
they find a giant cocoon in the ocean and uh, dig it up and bring it up. And just as before they can investigate that, the trench attacks. And then there's a couple of pages of some really well, uh, well rendered action scenes, uh, pretty bloody stuff where Mira and Aquaman just start cutting into the, the trench members left and right. And then, um, at the end of the book, we see the king of the trench, um, <laughs> uh, like shoot some sort of goo, uh, onto Aquaman and which paralyzes him. And he says something to the effect of the trench is going to bring you, bring you home. Um, and that's the end of the issue. And it was, you know, very quick. I mean, the, because of the, um, preview to the Batman graphic novel, the story was only like 20 pages. So yeah. it, it read lightning fast. I mean, I, I think that, I think it took two and a half minutes to read the whole book. And does, does, does that goo paralyze him? Really? I, I that's the. I think it. It seems like it because it's like in that last panel, Aquaman seems sort of frozen. Um, he's not struggling. Uh-huh. You know, he seems to be frozen in in, in place. And the, the the king of the trench guy uses it on the fisherman, uh, one of the fishermen in the beginning. And to me, it looked like the fisherman is sort of frozen in place. Obviously, it's hard to tell. Series See, of still I, images, but I read that a little differently. Like um, earlier. When the king of the trench spits that on the guy, you're probably right. Wow, that that actually hurt to say. That. Hurt to say, but, yeah. Um, Thank God I recorded that. Oh, jeez. Uh, but anyway, he, when he when he sort of you know spits the venom or whatever on the guy, I thought that was his way of marking, saying this this is my food because he he you know they they keep saying food food food. The king splats the fisherman, and then the other trench go his food, meaning okay. That guy has been marked and is now the property of the king. You know, we can't touch that guy. So when he marked Aquaman, I didn't think of him as being paralyzed. I thought it was more like marked like the king intends on eating Aquaman. I thought that was the threat at the end. Yeah, that's... But... Yeah, no, no, you could be right. I mean, it could be both those things. It could be that... Not not eaten, but he's he's Aquaman's his property, I guess, or it's his way of... Yeah, that's true. That's true. I did get this... Yeah, I I mean, again, it could be both things. Um, I I did get the sense that that, that they were, like, paralyzing them at least momentarily. Um, That would make sense. But, yeah, the the marking thing, too, also does make sense. Um... The, the, the paralyzing probably makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, I said Aquaman, Aquaman's, you know, it, it, just the way it looked like in that last page, it looked like Aquaman was sort of frozen, at least, at least mm-hmm. momentarily. Yeah. So. Um, so anyway, you know, again, I enjoyed it thoroughly. It just, it reads so fast. It's, it's so hard to read this book at a monthly rate because you just, you just, you wait a month and then, boom, two and a half minutes. <laughs> you know, it's over. Um, there, there were some great character bits. There's a, a um, Mira has very little time for Aquaman being treated the way he's treated. There's a scene at the dock where they're kind of, um, they show up to, to help and the sheriff is mad at the sheriff's deputy for getting in, for bringing in Aquaman. And he's like, you know, what is this? I don't need these people here. And he's sort of yelling at Aquaman and Mira says something like, you're a king. They should be bowing to you. And Aquaman's like, well, I'm not their king. So, you know, sort of relax a little. And I sort of, I, I kind of like that Mira is the one standing up for him. That's kind of neat. Because, I mean, you know, who among us out there, who doesn't want their woman to stand up for them? You know, like that. That makes you feel good. Um, so that was interesting. And she just seems like she's, I, and, and this may be something that he, that Jeff Johns is going to get at later on. But it's almost like Mira, uh, having spent much less time on the surface world than Aquaman, 
of, of course, because he's you know half half uh, human, I guess. Um, like she just has a lot much less tolerance for um, humans acting, you know, what are they not acting respectful towards Aquaman. Well, it's not just Aquaman; it's herself as well. I think it's, I think it's less a case of her standing up for her man and more of her just standing up for them. Because when the when the policeman's at their house at the, at the lighthouse asking for help, you know, um, he says uh, to her, "I thought you were a mermaid, or are you only a mermaid in, a, in the water." Is that how it works? And she creates a vision in the air out of water of of a mermaid, basically to demonstrate, "This is how powerful I am, pal. Don't screw with me." So it's not just her standing up for Aquaman; she's standing up for herself as well. So I think it's I think it's demonstrating is she's she's got a short temper for people who don't show the proper respect for either of them. Yeah, I mean, there's a when she uses her powers, you can see like her her pupils disappear, mm-hmm. which is just a slightly eerie effect because it makes her look a little demonic, just slightly. Um, oh, I was going to use the word even sexier, but okay, that's too <laughs> to, to each his own. Um, <laughs> So basically, you're saying you're Veronica. Uh, you'd be a Veronica, and I'd be a Betty. Um, We've had talks about redheads before. Yeah, I, I married a gorgeous redhead. I, right. You know, anyway. Um, so, so yeah, yeah. I think I think you could be right. I I, I took the the thing of, of her creating the the, the the little water vapor thing is almost a little more fanciful of just sort of like showing off a little like, no, oh, this is what I can do. But uh, but yeah, I mean, she's she, it will be an, it'll be an interesting tra- character trait to go through through the issues if they show that she's just much more she's much less tolerant of taking crap from humans as, <laughs> as Aquaman is and that'll that'll be an interesting dynamic to to explore um, I mean the art uh, as always by Ivan Reese and Joe Prado and colors by Rod Reese is just phenomenal it looks great um, Rod Reese really gets to show off and I mean in a good way with the colors because I mean there's so many transitions I mean there's the beginning parts are at night, the scenes with the trench are at night, and then the stuff in Aquaman's, you know, Aquaman and Mira's sort of swinging sex pad is, you know, <laughs> everything is brightly colored and very uh, warm and friendly and familial, and then you get back to the nastiness of the trench, so there's, there's some nice back and forth there in terms of tones. Um, you know, it's just, it said, you know, they're, they're, they're off to a great start. I, I liked this issue kind of more than I liked the first one, just because I feel like, okay, we've gotten past the thing about Aquaman is no, you know, there was a little bit of that in this, of, of Aquaman is still kind of looked at a little bit skeptically by, by humans, but there was just less of it, and it was more about, hey, let's get, let's get, the, let's get these two together, let's get Aquaman in the trench together, start fighting, you know, let's go. And we got that. We got that in spades. So, uh, you know, I'm just like, oh, i got to wait a month for another issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I absolutely agree about the artwork. Ivan Reese and Joe Prado, I just, wow, it's just stunning. I mean, there's one particular page I'm, I'm looking at that, that's probably one of my favorites. It's, um, it's not quite a splash page because the image doesn't take the entire page, but it takes definitely the top almost three quarters of the page uh it's uh, it's a, a sort of an askew angled shot of aquaman and mara and the police uh sheriff guy deputy walking into town it's it's right after they've got to the the town where the the, the trench have disappeared everyone and it's just this aquaman just looks big bold he's just kind of in everyone's face and just the detail work on his orange scale armor shirt 
and the, the background detail on Mara's face, she looks a little haughty, not hot, but you know, a little haughty, like, you know, she's above some of this. Um, the trident, and just all of it, it's just, oh, it's gorgeous artwork. Even even just the little the light reflecting off his belt buckle, it's just well, and, and, and I don't mean, and, and that's in the pencils even, it's not just in the colors. And uh, it's just gorgeous. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, beautiful looking book, and um, you know, uh, it, it's uh, it just you know it leaves you wanting more. You know, you're just like, okay, mm-hmm. this is great. And like I said, it's I wish these guys could crank this stuff out on a weekly basis or biweekly or something. You know, I mean, just like there's just uh, you know, I mean, we've been denied Aquaman for five years, and now that we've got it, it's like I just want you know, I just want more of it. It's it's going to be a hell of a trade because I mean, you know then you're going to get the full story. You're going to get a full spread of what's going on, plus the character moments. So when it's a trade, it's just going to be like, this is going to be an awesome freaking trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i going to bet that the way this book is selling, that the trade is going to go through the roof because people are, I think are, a lot of people are still wait to buy trades at this point. And oh, yeah. they're going to hear so much about it and to know you're going to get somewhat of a complete story, whether you do like the first 12 or the first six or however many do, I think that's, that's going to be, you know, another great revenue stream for Aquaman is that you're going to have these, you know, I think that's going to be a big, big seller. Now, how long are the trench hanging around? Is it the first four? I think, think something like that. I think they said four or five. I know they, I know they said that I think it's this fourth issue is going to be Mira centric. And okay. so I, I, I'm guessing that, uh, you know, Aquaman may get, taken somewhere for a little while and then they're going to have a more mirror centric issue um and then as jeff john said in the interview they're going to be bringing back one of the he said they're going to be working in black mana and ocean mist although he didn't make it sound like that's going to be any time in the immediate future right so uh i think the trench are going to be around for a little bit and he's clearly trying to build their aquaman's um, rogues gallery by, you know, you've got, he brought in Siren, and he's bringing in the Trench, so I wouldn't be surprised if after the Trench is over, they go right into yet another new villain, just to build up, you know, his his base a little bit, because you can't just keep bringing back Black Mana and uh, Ocean Master, at some point you can spread <laughs> out a little bit. And I know you don't like spoilers, but I mean, have you at least seen what issue five is about, and read a little bit about that one? No, I consciously stay away from that stuff, I really <sighs> don't want to know, you know, I really don't, I just... I, so I, like, I, can't, I can't say, can I? Oh, you've seen it? Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, I mean, I know I the, I've seen the co- I've seen the cover, and okay. I kind of know the a little bit of what happens, but that's I purposely haven't know, found anything else out. Well, I mean, that's all I really know. I mean, do you know where he is? Yeah, he's out in the desert. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's the gist of it. Okay. He, there's he falls out of a plane. All, all I really know is he falls out of a plane and, and lands in the desert. And he just looks around. And he's like, "Oh crap." <laughs> You know, uh, and I, just, I love that idea where Aquaman, you know, he know he knows he can survive it, but it's like, oh crap, the desert is not the place for me. Is you know, clearly what he's going to have to he's going to have to bite into the neck of another vulture to survive. I uh, I love that old cover where Aquaman's in the desert <laughs> with Jimmy Olsen and Superman's hold, it's, it's a Neil Adams cover and Superman's holding the ice the pitcher of ice water. I know. <laughs> I don't remember. You probably remember what the line is. But, you know, basically, one of them's going to die, one of them's going to live. Or, hey, either Jimmy or Aquaman, I think, are going to die. And Superman's got you know the the Kool Aid Man sort of nice cold pitcher of water. And uh, oh god, that's so funny. A fine example of the super dickery thing, I think, which is that yes, <laughs> Superman just being a complete uh, complete jerk. 
It's awesome. Here it is. This is Superman. Stop this crazy test. Let us share that water or we die. Sorry, Jimmy. Uh, the uh, the ground the ground rules allow only one of one survivor. You are Aquaman. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I think Superman uh, had dreams like that. Taking it back to the Aquaman comic, I, it seems like uh, Aquaman and Mera's favorite trick is to rip the jaw off of Trench that they're battling. Uh, hey, you know, you got something that works. Stick with it. Right. You know. <laughs> That, that bottom jaw unhinges pretty far. Makes a good target, I guess. I guess so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. it's, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're pretty um, they're pretty tough. You know, like, they're, they're not taking any crap from the trench. They're killing them left and right. And, you know, I have my own issues about, you know, superheroes that kill. But at the same time, um, you know, jeez, uh, these guys are monsters that are just eating people left and right. I mean, I don't think you have a whole lot of... I have to have a whole lot of compunction about saying, no, we just got to, you know, what am I going to do, arrest these people, put them in jail, send them to Arkham, but they'll just get released a month later anyway. Um, right. You know, we just got to yank these guys' heads off and move on to the next, especially when there's like 10,000 of them or something like that. Oh, yeah. I, I like the I like the one trench that's actually biting Aquaman's arm and shattering his own teeth. Yeah, that was good. He was like, that, crunch. <laughs> I saw that panel, I'm like, oh, Rob's going to love that. Yeah, that was good. I do like that. That was, there was a great... Um, you know, we had a big diversion in the Firestorm segment about OMAX, so we can do a diversion about Captain America. There was a great issue of Captain America drawn by uh, John Byrne, where he took on this vampire guy named Baron Blood or something. He was like the vampire type guy. And he's about to bite into Captain America's neck, and it was like a cliffhanger for the next issue. Then you buy the next issue, and he tries to bite into Captain America's neck, and you find out that Captain America's tunic is like that chainmail. And so the vampire guy like bites into it and goes like Tui! like it like it tastes awful like it tastes horrible and metal <laughs> they couldn't get through it and I was like that's kind of a cheat but it's a fun cheat it's a fun that like that the vampire can't bite through this chain mail I was like that's good so that's what the first thing I thought of when I saw that the trench guy break his teeth off on Aquaman's uh, Aquaman's shirt there that was cool <laughs> so yeah I mean I said I I you know I loved it I thought it was great they are they are you know they are hitting the ground running and. Uh, just, you know, I wish I could just read more of it. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, I, you're right. It was over way too soon. I, I sat down to read it, and I kind of got myself ready, and, you know, I got, like, a snack or something, and it's like, oh, I didn't need to bother. No, you get over, yeah. <laughs> Done. You, you do the, the prep time takes a long time than it does to read the book, you know? Yeah. And, again, it's, again, that's not a complaint or anything. It's just that's just the way it reads. Jeff Johns is not doing a lot of plot right now it's it's a lot of long scenes it's i mean the book is basically three big scenes it's the introduction of the trench aquaman and mira aquaman and mira versus the trench the end that's yeah it's it's a very fast moving three-act structure um when like the firestone book was like six acts you know (laughs) like or six or seven so you know it reads fast but it's it's in a lot of ways like this feels like it would be a great plot for like an Aquaman movie, it has so many, vi- and you know, I mean, I don't say maybe you know Jeff Johns is really involved in the movie aspects of the DC universe. I almost think, you know, does, is that someone setting some groundwork of like presenting some sort of storyline? Because, you know, are you going to do Black Man or are you going to do Ocean Master? They're making Aquaman movie, maybe not. Um, maybe it would be better to have him take on just a bunch of crazy, you know, nasty-looking monsters. And this this has a, a more movieish feel to it. 
these these villains in the setting and everything else. So um, I'm not saying that's why he's writing it at all, but it's just, just to me this this storyline has a cinematic feel that a lot of Aquaman comics have not to this point. We know that's kind of a, a hallmark of Jeff Johns. He 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 has a background in script writing, and his his guy whenever he's recommending folks get into script writing for comic books, he always recommends a book actually about writing. Um, it's about writing structure, I guess, in general. But it's called The Writer's Journey mm-hmm. uh, by Vogler. It's a um, he always says, you know, it's really good. They teach it in film school, things like that. So I mean, it's I think uh, that's sort of his angle on it. I don't know whether he's actively trying to, you know, create a storyboard, if you will, for an Aquaman movie or not. But I think that's always his intention whenever he's writing a story arc is for it to be theatrical and theatrical worthy, if you will. Yeah, it said it does. It, it does have that feel. I mean, it said especially with a lot, a lot of the coloring that Rod Reese does, I can almost see the lens flares <laughs> with some of the coloring. I mean, the scenes of Aquaman in front of like police cars, I can I can just see it. You're like, okay, let's get JJ JJ right. Abrams in here and get some lens flares going. And uh, you know, hey, there would be a lot worse directors to take on for an Aquaman uh, uh, an Aquaman movie than JJ Abrams. Oh, that'd be awesome because you know it'd have Jennifer Gardner and Leonard Nimoy in it. So that'd be totally kick-ass. <laughs> Um, so the photo album with Dad and the mysterious dark-haired man. Uh, you, you remember the Aquaman in America went through the photo album, right? And there's he that says, one yeah, photo that should that? be in yeah. there. Yeah. And theories. I'm sorry. And, I said and theories. Oh, theories. Um, well, I mean, at first blush, I thought, is that supposed to be Orm? Uh, because he kind of looks like Orm, and he's got the dark hair, but then I'm like, well, but Orm is always supposed to be younger than Aquaman, but then I realized, well, this is kind of a new, refurbished version of Aquaman, so there's no history that you have to necessarily keep it to. Um, so, um, it could be Orm. It could be his, you know, brother or something. It, it, I mean, it's clearly got to be some relative or something. Um, but I don't know. You know, I don't know. I, I, I since Since we're not... I mean, I asked Jeff this on Monday, like how much of the Aquaman timeline is in his mind is he keeping and how much is he leaving out? And he didn't have a definitive answer. Um, And so, you know, it could be Orm um, or it could be somebody that he's completely bringing in new. Um, So I don't know. You know, I, I didn't know. Did you have any ideas who you thought it was? I thought it was Orm's father. Okay. I kind of got this thought that, like, okay, maybe there's this story where Orm's father, although I, I think they're supposed to have the same father, aren't they? Like yeah. the same same father, different mothers. Is yeah, that, yeah. In the original, in the original history, him and Orm are have the same father. Okay. Well, in, in this case, it just it. I mean, obviously, Orm is the thing that we can't help but think about. But I, w- I was thinking it was uh, Orm's father, and uh, perhaps was. Uh, you know, so maybe maybe like Arthur Curry, the the dad, and Orm's father had a relationship. Maybe they're business partners or something. And then you know they he takes his woman. I don't know. It's kind of that's that's kind of where my brain was going with all this. Yeah, I mean, I hope that, that I hope that they retain that thing that him and Orm are brothers. I think that's just a classic dynamic. That uh, and and you know, like it it leaves some sympathy for Orm because of the the way it was originally done was that, you know, Arthur, Tom Curry married uh, Atlanta, and they had Arthur, who had all these amazing powers, then Atlanta died, and as Tom got older, he married 
this regular sort of normal woman and gave birth to Orm, who did not have special powers, and Orm always felt inferior to his older brother, who the father favored. And it's like, that's a great dynamic, because, you I mean, you know, that's real life, that's, you know, you, you know, people have felt that way, that one sibling maybe gets more attention than the other. And, and you know, not that that's a justification of becoming a supervillain, but, um... You don't need enough. You don't need a reason. I guess if you're called for that, you're just you know you feel the call to be a supervillain. You are, um, but but I mean I think that's like you know you have sympathy for Orm because you you know you can relate to that. At the same time, you can't blame Tom Curry for being so enamored of his son who has these amazing powers, while the other son is just sort of uh, very ordinary. So I, I think that's a great. That was a great relationship that they had and I, I would love it if Jeff Johns retained that and, and didn't change it up but I, you know who knows you know what I changed my answer it's uh it's the human flying fish <laughs> the human flying fish was friends with his dad and you know things went south and so that's you know that's why that picture shouldn't be there now that'll be the movie there it is human <laughs> flying fish human that's what flying it is. fish yes <laughs> that's a real character folks look it up <laughs> yes it is yes it is so yeah, it was you know very happy with it, and people really people on Twitter seemed to love it. They said they liked it even more than the first one. So, you know, the book has got an enormous amount of goodwill uh, behind it, and they really got a good momentum going. And uh, you know, like, geez, the end of the month can't come fast enough. Let's 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 get number three rolling here. It's actually it's such a big week for me. Um, this 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 last week of of DC books is. Uh... Like I saw somebody on Twitter was saying like, "Oh, there was nothing good this week." I'm like, "Are you crazy? This is the this is the most important week of the month for me, and not just because Aquaman and Firestorm, but you know, uh, you get okay, well, Savage Hawkman, but um, you have to say the Savage Hawkman. Well, it's, it's kind of under my breath, but you get Teen Titans, you get Justice League Dark, you get Flash. Um, I've been you know, loving. Uh, I've been loving All Star Western. Oh, I, I read the first one. Oh. I did not pick up the second. Oh. Was, was it just as good? I they they had a they had a, a backup feature. Ooh. Of um, El Diablo, drawn by oh. Jordan, drawn by Jordy Bernay. Oh my God, I loved it. I loved. I like it, Aquaman is certainly my favorite New Fifty Two book because it's Aquaman. But if like if there was no Aquaman book, mm-hmm. All Star Western would be my favorite New Fifty Two title. Oh wow! I love the Jonah Hex feature. I love the artwork, and the fact that they introduced a backup strip that's completely different in look, but yet it's still another Western character. I am I am so in love with All Star Western. I hope that that book runs for a really long time. I think it's great. Well, they kind of had to introduce something because um, the Jonah Hex one was taking place in Gotham, and it's kind of hard to have a book, you know, called a Western. When they're on the East Coast, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> that's true. I mean, I'm not, I'm not as thrilled with how tev- how heavily they're tying. God, we're talking about all these other books in this episode. Um, I, I'm not as thrilled that, that they're tying it in so heavily to Gotham City. Like they, they've already mentioned a character called the Wayne, the Waynes, and the the Penguin, uh, the, co- yeah, the the cobble Mayor Cobblepot. Mayor Cobblepot. Was, I mean, yeah. you know, it kind of feels like Good Lord. Did anybody ever leave this city? It's all the same five families. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I guess the trains don't go out of Gotham City, um, right. but but nevertheless, I, I'm just I'm I'm loving this new take. I love the artwork. I think the artwork is fantastic, and just that they're going to do other features. I, I mean, like when they called the book All Star Western instead of calling it Jonah Hex, 
I figured, oh, that's maybe they'll give them license to bring in other of their Western characters. They have lots of great Western characters. And I was hoping that the book wouldn't just be Jonah Hex with just a different title. And clearly, no, it's not going to be. It's going to be a omnibus or an anthology of different Western characters. And while Jonah Hex is clearly going to be the star because he's a cough, cough movie star, um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the, that they worked in El Diablo so soon makes me think, oh, they'll do Scalp Hunter or Cinnamon or Batlash. I was going to say, you got to tell me when Cinnamon makes an appearance. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm all over that. Yeah, there well, you go. You went there, not me. But, uh, <laughs> they need to do a, a some sort of redhead team-up book, and it's like Mira, Hawkwoman, and Cinnamon uh, all together, some sort of weird time travel story. I, I'm reaching for my wallet right now to buy that. <laughs> so, um, Get Adam Hughes to draw it. Um, <laughs> hey, but, by the way, speaking of Jonah Hex, and since we're just all over the board, have you seen the animated Jonah Hex short? I did. I did. God, that was so good. Yeah, I like the. I really like the shorts. Those animated shorts they've been doing. I love the the Spectre one, mm-hmm. um, the Green Arrow. Yeah, I love the shorts. I, I keep hoping that they're going to do Aquaman. That they'll give them do an Aquaman mm-hmm. short. Um, you know what? And while we're on this subject, since I should, since you were kind enough to correct yourself early on, I have to correct myself from the previous episode. I said in the previous episode that the Wonder Woman <laughs> animated DVD did not sell well, and I was corrected by a number of. Um, people, uh, some some more <laughs> politely than others. Um, um, one of the more polite ones was uh, Frank of the Idle Head of Daredevil, and he told me that um, <laughs> I've been wanting to get it in the whole episode. <laughs> I just agree with the genius. Thank you, um, Frank. Just so you know, we're never going to mention the correct name of your site ever again. Um, that, that, that is not true. It will happen once. And it's in a future episode. I have a plan for that. Oh, okay. But, fair but only that one time. It will be the final episode when the Korean War ends. And um, so <laughs> – I'm sorry. I'm confusing it with my other podcast. Um, I followed it. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. So so anyway, I was wrong. Apparently, the Wonder Woman DVD did sell well. It just sold slowly. Like, it took a long time. And they took – like, whoever the powers that be are, Warner Brothers took that as, like, a bad sign. And so, therefore, they decided that they weren't going to do female-centric – movies at that point but apparently it did sell well so much so my comment that it didn't sell well was was incorrect so sorry about that but uh, i didn't mean i didn't mean to spill over into listener feedback already but um i think we're ready to go there anyway um Absolutely. so so anyway i guess we'll just go right from there um i did want to mention like i said frank um of the uh, idle head of dazzler wrote in a very long note uh, it's much too long <laughs> that was that one was a little more forced um he wrote a very long note, a uh, very nice comment. It, it has about 17 bullet points. It's like a PowerPoint presentation. It's, it's... Well, he starts off saying he doesn't have much to say about the show. Yeah, and then it goes on to like, yeah, all of a sudden we're in like uh, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth PowerPoint presentation. Um, but, uh, but he mentions about the Wonder Woman thing that I got wrong and um, some other things. And uh, said so we always thank Frank for his uh, very complete reviews and so quickly too. Like he gets it up like – an hour after we post the episode or something. So I, I was actually going to read some of his comments. Oh, were you? Okay, go ahead. Just a few of them. Uh, he, he, now this, this is, this speaks to the whole, um, the last, the fact that the last episode was Aquaman centric. Uh, he says, this was definitely the most lopsided show to show to date. It felt very much like the Aquaman podcast with friend. 
Clearly, Rob's master plan is progressing, so I hope Shag put away some savings and has his resume in order. I also found this episode the least objectionable so far, and therefore haven't much to comment on. The least objectionable so far. What a review. Well, he goes on to say, so clearly what hasn't been working is all that Firestorm crap. (laughs) (laughs) He goes on to say he's kidding and and has a lot of good comments here and there, uh, which is fun. They have some nice things to say about Aquaman, which I don't know why I'm bothered going to read, but I will. Um, the one thing I really appreciated about Batman the Brave and the Bold was that for the first time since the 60s, Aquaman was allowed to be fun again. Absolutely. While the Sea King is one of my favorite superheroes, part of his decades-old inferior inferiority complex, complex, wow, easy for me to say, comes from being a clear-cut ripoff of the Submariner. From Steve Skeets to Peter David, whenever I read a comic where Aquaman was pompous or a rageaholic, I just dismissed it as writing Prince Namor with a die job. What differentiates the two characters is that Aquaman is a nice guy who likes people and smiles a lot. He's the Lone Ranger on a seahorse. And while Batman, the Brave and the Bold, went a little far out in the opposite direction from Brooding Jerk, it makes a lot more sense for a guy dressed like a pumpkin to be that enthusiastic about his heroing. I love that. <laughs> it never made the Aquaman Halloween connection, but it makes sense. Hey, he's yeah. totally all over it. Yeah, he's the great pumpkin. Um, then uh, Frank had a comment here about Killer Frost, which uh, I wanted to mention because he, because he, I like this. Uh, he says, "I hope that I hope a new Killer Frost is as cool as the old, since she's one of my one of the only Firestorm villains I liked and don't sneer at derisively." Say, did you read her appearances in Giffen's overhated Suicide Squad? Good stuff. <laughs> Let me tell you, and this totally has nothing to do with our show, but whatever. Uh, that Keith Giffen Suicide Squad run, it was only 12 issues, and it was in the early 2000s. It was so good. It was like an amalgamation of the old Suicide Squad that Austin Drew wrote, which is amazing, by the way. An amazing comic. Um, it's, it's like an amalgamation of Austin Drew Suicide Squad and the Justice League International humor. Hmm. And it, it's, a, it's a beautiful blending and it was such a good sh- series, and and Killer Frost was one of the main characters in the book. She was part. She was one of the main reoccurring characters of the Suicides, that incarnation of the Suicide Squad. So, all you match heads out there, um, that's my recommendation of the week: is to go out and find those Suicide Squad issues one through twelve by Keith Giffen, and uh, enjoy yourself some Killer Frost in almost a protagonist role. <laughs> enjoy yourself some Killer Frost. That's never been said before. It's probably true. <laughs> uh, I've got more stuff to read, but I didn't know if you wanted to jump in and, and talk about your little fish guy or something. Or whatever. <laughs> Always so condescending at the end of the show, well, throughout the whole show. Um, now, we got a couple of very nice emails. Like I said, I mentioned uh, earlier in the show um, my pal, Sean Tiffany, who uh, went to the Cupid School with uh, all these uh, decades ago. Um, he was very nice in his praise. Uh, with the show and, and uh, gave us very specific details about what he liked about the show and like how that he just likes that it's sort of the two of us talking, which means I don't have to edit any of this, which is great. So thank you for that, Sean. Um, Wait, so he, he liked or disliked? No, he liked it. He liked it. Oh, okay. It. So, um, and so he said he was desperately uh, uh, asking for a new episode, which is why we recorded this so fast. Um, we did get uh, emails from little Russell Burbage, who was very nice. He wrote a Firestorm one we'll uh, shag will get to in a moment. Um, we did get another one from uh, little Luke Giaconetti, the littlest Hawkman fan on the internets, which was adorable. <laughs> um, he corrects me here. I'm kind of going to correct it a lot. He wrote, uh, Monsters Go Home. Used to it. 
Yeah, Monsters Go Home actually does not feature the, Munster, the Munsters on a road trip across America, but instead features them abroad in England after Herman is found to be the heir to a noble house. Um, it does feature lots of typical gags with people freaking out upon seeing the family, though. If you're interested, please keep an eye out for my upcoming Munsters blog. Just kidding. Or am I? <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to that, Luke. That would be good. Jack and Nettie. <laughs> um... I'll go ahead and read little Russell Burbage's letter. Uh, Dear Mr. Shag, and he put it with a a second G in parentheses, which is just brilliant if you were listening to the last episode. Uh, Hello. I wanted to tell you that I enjoy the Fire and Water podcast very much. It's like listening to two friends chat about some of my favorite subjects. Um, Russell, we're not not really your friends. I I hate to break that to you. I'm just kidding. Oh, my God. That's got, I got I to edit that out or Russell is going to go start crying. That's horrible. No, Russell knows that I love him. Actually, Russell and I are closer than, than he is to you, but he doesn't want to tell you. So I, I probably shouldn't be sharing that. I'm probably oh, telling you too much. But anyway, uh, I also wanted to tell you that I'm definitely more of an Aquaman fan. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> um, Zing. I tell you, man, right, just backfired all over me. I liked some Firestorm when he came out, but after he joined the JLA, I really agreed with Green Arrow that the league was getting too powerful with him in it. So I wasn't such a big fan after that. Well, okay. You know, I'm going to take back most of what I say because he's agreeing with, with Oliver Queen. That's just <laughs> negative. If this is Google Plus, you'd get like negative one, man. Sticking right there, it to so. the man. <laughs> However, you, sir, in your conversations with Rob, have convinced me the error of my ways. All right, he's getting winding his way back. I'm warming up for this guy. At the Mid Ohio Con that was held yesterday, I asked my buddy to pick up any three for a dollar Firestorm comics he could find. So you're only willing to spend like (laughs) 33 and a third cents on a Firestorm comic? (laughs) All right, whatever. Uh, He ended up up getting me close to 60 comics. Oh my gosh. Uh, they range from the original series of The Furia by Pat Broderick and even to the end of the original series by John Oster and Tom Mandrake um, that you said so many good things about in an earlier podcast. So I will dig into them and let you know what I think. I'm, I look forward to hearing that, Russell. I really do. Uh, I also took the opportunity to buy the new Firestorm by Simone and Van Skyver. I'll read that one tomorrow. Thanks for at least uh, getting me to retry Ronnie and Jason. I hope I'm not disappointed. Flame on. Wait, that's not right. Devoted fan, little Russell, little Russell Burbage. <laughs> very sweet, very nice. Great letter, Russell. Um, but by the way, before we get into more comments, because we do have some great feedback here, uh, I want to say thank you, as always, to the to you guys who write in, uh, and whether it's on Twitter or Facebook or write, sending us a letter or posting it to a message board or your own blog or wherever. You know, we really or the iTunes reviews. We really, really appreciate your support. It it really helps us to keep going, keeps us motivated. It also helps make you part of the show. I mean, I really like to read things like what Russell wrote about how he's going to dive in and read some old Firestorm comics. That's awesome. It's thrilling to hear. Um, so and just keep writing in, folks. And you know, if we can, we'll read you. We'll you know, we'll read you on the show, and you'll be part of the show that way. Or um, you know, just keep it coming. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I, we got a another email from a former uh, Bill Bailey. Um, who wrote me a, a, a long note about the Aquaman Shrine, and then he included this part about the podcast, where he wrote, on another note, I am really enjoying the Fire and Water podcast. It is great and simply fun and entertaining to listen to. I can't read to read Aquaman number two, and I still have to read Firestorm number one. Uh, I took the dive and bought all 52 number ones, 
Oh, man, he should get a medal or something. And it has been a, it has been a mixed bag so far, um, but I have more number ones to go. I love the Aquaman number one. Read it at least four times and had to buy the digital download because I could not wait for my order at Midtown Comics to come in. And I'm ready to read Farsha number one since the podcast, Bill Bailey. So thank you very much, Bill. And said so I'm glad that if we can get you to uh, give Firestorm a try. And, you know, even if you don't, ends up not being your cup of tea, that's fine. But at least you gave it a shot. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that, that's great. Again, if we can, you know, cross-pollinate um, our fans a little bit, uh, I think that's, a, you know, a worthwhile goal. Have you, have you met this guy, Bill Bailey? No, I have not. I've seen his office, though. He sent me pictures of his Aquaman-centric office. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just wondering if he's actually Axel Rose from Guns N' Roses, because that's Axel Rose's real name. Really? That'd be really cool. That's completely over. Well, it didn't, it didn't read like the scrawlings of a madman or something. So I don't think it was <laughs> Axel Rose. Plus, um, he clearly wrote this last week, and then he sent it to me. I think if this was from Axel Rose, it would take about 11 years to write. So That's probably true. That's probably true. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay. Um, I love Aquaman! Oh, my gosh. I broke that out the... got to stay in the show. <laughs> I broke out the Axel Rose impression. You sure did. If I could... only you'd been speaking as FDR at the same time. I could do Axel Rose and FDR. Those are my two impressions. <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> anyway, um, I want to real quickly thank the folks who gave us a shout-out on Twitter for this episode. Uh, Moldwick, Keith G. Baker, Ed the Unique Geek, John Butel, Randy Caldwell, and Lee Novak. Thank you very much for that, gentlemen. Uh, much appreciated. Going to go ahead and dive into another letter here. Um, this is from PM, uh, identified as PM only. I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you that I have really been enjoying your Fire and Water podcasts. I enjoy your banter and the discussion of things I don't often consider about comic books, i.e. the writing and the art itself. A little about me, I was a big comic book collector when I was younger, though I have nothing to show for it these days, as apparently they were pitched during a move that I wasn't part of. Oh. And I know, that's just... I, oh, man. I, I feel for you, PM. I really do. Uh, and I've always had a soft spot for the genre. I have five kids. Wow! Mm. Uh, I have five kids, and my oldest has recently started to become interested in comics. So I've only been too happy to take him to my favorite haunts of yesteryear. <laughs> you have that many kids, you're bound to get one of them interested in comics. Right. <laughs> just the sheer odds. It's true. The odds were in his favor. Um, his interest, mostly with Green Lantern, an old favorite, but I have trouble following the more recent developments, caused me to rekindle my own, and that led me to this podcast, which I actually, um, which actually led me to get the new Firestorm book. I was a longtime Marvel guy, but Firestorm was always my favorite. No offense to Aquaman, I just never really got into him, and it's oh. a nice start. And it's nice to start off fresh with him. Well, actually, you know that that this is me stepping away from the letter for a second. That actually makes a lot of sense because Firestorm was very much. Um, Jerry Conway's intention was to write a Marvel, a Marvel book, book right, yeah. in the DC universe, and that's what Firestorm was. So it, I could totally see why a Marvel fan would connect with Firestorm, and it demonstrates his clear intelligence, So, um, especially since he didn't care for Aquaman that much. Anyway, so uh, – anyway, keep going. Right. Anyway, thanks for your podcast. It's a great way to help the workday go by just a little bit faster than normal. Hey, another listener that likes to listen at work. That's great. Uh, the only suggestion I would offer, however, would be if you would ever consider spending 10 to 15 minutes a show delving into a prior storyline for one or both of the primary characters. I missed out on a lot of uh, – I've missed out on a lot, and a history lesson might be nice to hear from time to time. Keep up the good work, PM. That's a great idea. It's a great idea except for the fact that you and I can't spend 10 to 15 minutes on anything. 
<laughs> no matter what the topic is, it spills over into a half an hour. Because, folks, I have to say this. My intention was for this episode to be pretty tight. And then yeah. because I just figured we were just going to talk about Aquaman number two and Firestone number two, which would keep the show kind of like at a lean hour, which I thought was a good rate because the last couple, like each each successive episode has been getting longer and longer. And not that that's a bad thing. I just thought, oh, it'd be kind of fun to do like a kind of a short and sweet one. And now we're already at the hour and a half mark. So there is no topic that Shag and I can only do 15 minutes on. It's just, it's just impossible. We're verbose. We are. We are verbose. <laughs> uh, but I like the suggestion. I do. I think it's a great idea. So there, there's definitely some Firestorm storylines that I would love to dive into, and uh, just you know, like you said, talk for ten or fifteen minutes. And and you know what, you know that's that's going on the agenda for future episodes, and we'll start doing that a little more regularly. Can't yeah. promise every episode, but we think we'll do it. We'll do ten to fifteen minutes, and then get to page two of the first book that we want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> After we've been talking about the the the, the, the savage. Uh, I totally blew that. <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Oh, because after we get done talking about Savage Eye Vampire. So. Uh, <laughs> I was just saying after – well, and that's the indicia. Anyway, page two. Here's the slip we want. Hey, i got to give a quick shout-out to my brethren over on the DC Comics message board. Uh, these guys are great. They're they're very supportive of the podcast. Firestorm 816 and uh, Charlemagne. <laughs> they both say I love what they said. They wrote, both wrote comments here. Uh, but Firestorm816 says, seriously, though, he's talking about our, the podcast. Seriously, though, it's almost two hours of fun. The Aquaman stuff doesn't drag it down too much. <laughs> well, that's my goal is to not drag it down too much. And then Charlemagne comes back. He says some stuff, and then he goes, I'm really digging the podcast, even Rob's stuff. Yeah. Oh, so, man. So it's totally twisting that knife. I love I, it. I am, I am taking over for Aquaman as the resident DC punching bag, which is, you know, great. Just great. Well, you know, I gotta have somebody to be superior to. You know, it's it's hard. So, and you're just so easy. So, um, it's because I'm a nice DC- guy. I am subtly bringing the audience to my side because you come off as the bully. That's absolutely true. It's Ab- the rope a dope strategy. Muhammad Ali tried it. <laughs> I am the playground bully. Absolutely. And he true. fought I, Superman. I, this is not the first time I've been called a nerd bully, by the way. So, uh, DC Adam. Said he uh, on the on the DC Comics message board. I second any recommendation. The podcast is very entertaining. The creators are very honest, but also kind in their. This is the part I, I really want to focus in on. The creators are very honest, but also kind in their comments. It's nice to hear a review which doesn't set out to annihilate a book. And you know what? I I really appreciate that comment, Adam, because you're right. A lot of reviews, what all they want to do is tear a book down. And Rob and I both have a philosophy where we prefer to be you know honestly focus on the positive things on our blogs and for the most part here in the podcast because we could you know could we tear stuff apart sure you know there's always something you can nitpick you know um but you know oh that comment should that comma shouldn't be there or whatever who cares but i mean we're really trying to celebrate these characters rather than tear them down and and, and i appreciate your comment and and i'm glad that you guys see that as well so, yeah, I, yeah, both Shag and I are de- definitely of the m- mentality of like, why, you know, like, why would you devote that much effort to something you don't like? What, what, what would be the point of that? What is yeah. that, you know, what's that game? I've always wondered about that. Like, you know, like if you're into something, whatever it is, whether it's like a band or whatever, and like, there's always so people that just show up just to, just to bag on it. And I'm just like, why are you even there? Like, why would you even waste time going to like the fan, a fan site of something you don't like? I just, mm-hmm. my God, there's so so little time in the day, 
you have enough time to like pick on something that you know you don't like, that just doesn't make any sense. So, you know. And if you if you're that unhappy with, you know, what you're reading, get out. Yeah, just you know, bail why, on it. Don't. Yeah, I, that, why, that's weird. Why invest your money and emotions into something that you're not enjoying? Yeah, so. yeah, that's weird. So yeah, I'm glad that you know, and that was something that you know, just getting into the background of the show a little bit because, of course, you know. We were going to supposed to do 10, 15 minutes um, <laughs> was, you know, that was one of like, you know, I had, I had wanted to do an Aquaman shrine podcast for a while and, but I knew I couldn't and didn't want to do one by myself because I just thought, well, it's just going to be me talking into the void. And I do that enough in my regular life. So um, I didn't need to record <laughs> it. Um, and plus there is my manifestos that I record out in the, out in, the in my cabin out in the back that has no well, sure. Yeah. Um, no heat electricity. Um, but I, but I wanted, you know, like, I think that the shrine has maintained a very positive attitude and I wanted, uh, to partner with somebody who had that similar attitude and Shag always has had that similar attitude, whether it was on about the character, but not about you necessarily. Well, no, on his, yeah. I mean, I, well, I can go so far. Look, if I'm only going to, if I was only going to hire somebody who had a positive attitude towards me, that would again, just be me (laughs) talking to myself. (laughs) Um, but no, I mean, you know, Shag has had that attitude on Once Upon a Geek and certainly on Firestorm fans, so it seemed like a perfect sort of match, you know, because you want somebody of a similar tone. Uh, not not identical, because you want to play off one another, and as I've said, I'm much nicer than Shag, and that's, I think that's what works out, because people are drawn more to me than they are to Shag, sure. Shag seems like a big bully. He's, he's the guy that's kicking the sand in the face of the scrawny guy, and I'm the scrawny guy. Um, you're, you're the better human being, but it's my people that make the world go round. You okay? You can tell yourself that. Um, <laughs> so you know, yeah. So that was the attitude that we wanted to retain um, for the show to replicate to replicate on the show. So uh, thank you uh, um, for noticing that. I appreciate it. Yep. Well, um, I was. I think we're closing out the listener comments for this time. Um, Unless you had any more you want to read, Rob. No, I think we're good. So. I think we're good. Folks, again, keep those letters, keep those cards, letters coming. Oh, I should, uh, I should mention just the email address. It's fire, oh, yeah, yeah. firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. I don't think we mentioned it the last couple of episodes. Um, just if you want to write an email, you can, of course, leave a comment on uh, you know any of the various Twitter feeds and the Facebook pages and, and our respective sites. But if you want to write a direct email, you can send it to firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. If you'll, and feel free to say whatever you want there because uh, the fact is Rob won't give me the password to the email account, um, <laughs> so only he gets it. So, you know, be as honest and truthful as you want and just know that, you know, he's going to edit out anything that he might be even remotely complimentary to me. So I also use it for my Columbia Record and Tape Club membership, so I don't want anybody getting those free cassettes. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um Rob, you got something before we wrap up here, right? Well, yeah. I, I uh, God, I shouldn't even say that I hate to do this because it, it kind of reduces the energy. But I do have something to plug. And I don't like plugging things. I never have. I'm very uncomfortable with it. But it's necessary because I'm very proud of this thing that we're working on. And it's finally coming to fruition. Um, in addition to all the other myriad things that I do in my life that uh, I laughingly call my career um, – uh, me and a buddy of mine, Dan O'Connor, a fine, fine, fine artist who I also went to Cubert School with, um, have been collaborating for over a, uh, a year on – or just a little under a year on a online – a daily online comic strip 
um, called Ace Kilroy. And it is, you know, to like kind of reduce it to a movie logline, it is basically like an unholy mashup of Indiana Jones and Steve Canyon and the Universal Monsters. <laughs> and um, it's, it, we've been, so we're working on it for less, for a little bit less than a year. It goes live on Monday, October 31st. Um, that means that will be the first strip is going to go up. And it will feature the, the website, which is www.acekilroy.com, will feature a new daily black and white strip like you'd see in newspapers, um, except that this will, unlike in current newspapers, the strips will be a readable size. Um, <laughs> it will feature a new strip every single day. And then on Sundays, there will be an extra long color version, color supplement. Again, oh, that's awesome. yeah, thank you. Just like the, just like the, the, the old the strips of old. Um, Dan and I are big aficionados of like Steve Canyon and Dick Tracy and uh, Secret Agent X Nine and uh, Casey Ruggles, all those sort of classic American comic strips. And that is this is like our version of it. And um, the, the 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 plot of it to keep very short is basically um, the U.S. government has learned that not only are monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein and the Wolfman, not only are they real, um, they are in danger of being taken over by the Third Reich. The Third Reich figures if we can convert these unholy creatures to our side, we will be unstoppable. So uh, President uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, um, I got it in, I got Slipknot in, and I got that in, um, hires... <laughs> you, you win fire and water bingo this time. Thank you. Um, FDR hires... Uh, Soldier of Fortune, Ace Kilroy, to head over to Transylvania and investigate this whole Dracula thing and see whether Dracula is uh, truly real or, or what the hell is going on over there. And, um, and like I said, I'm not big on promotion, but this time I'm making an exception because we are going to do something on the Shrine about it. We're going to do something on my TreasuryComics.com site about it. We're going to do something on my Rob Kelly illustration blog and my Rob Kelly writing blog. Uh, we're doing a roadblock, basically. If you follow my blogs, you're going to hear about Ace Killery on Monday. Um, <laughs> and um, um, not to try and uh, sound like I'm taking the Shrine hostage, but, um, you know, the Shrine doesn't pay for anything. The Shrine, for the most part, has been a loss leader, <laughs> you know, for five years. And I'm perfectly fine. Um, the Shrine started making a little bit of money ever since we opened it up to subscriptions. But... In terms of the amount of hours that I put into it, it is, you know, definitely not – it's not something that earns any money. And so I have to earn my money other ways. And I've been doing that by doing freelance illustration all these years. But this is a project that uh, I've been wanting to do for a long time. And um, I've always just wanted to be – for this kind of project, I just wanted to be the writer. And it took me a while till I realized I could pair up with an artist uh, and, and produce it. And Dan has been a wonderful collaborator. And so we are going to um, put the thing up on Kickstarter. For any of you who don't, for any of you who don't know what Kickstarter is, it's basically just a way to crowdsource, uh, crowdfund something. You're going to put it up, and people can contribute to it. And you shoot for a goal, and uh, there are rewards that you get if you donate a certain amount of money. You'll get this, you'll get that, and you know there's different levels and things like that. Um, on Monday the 31st, there'll be a link to the uh, Ace Killer Kickstarter page where you can either donate or send the link around to different people and, you know, send it to people that you like and the, the people that you think will like it. 
And um, we're hoping that because producing a daily comic strip is a full-time job um, all by itself, that we can find a way to make this a paying thing that we can actually sort of, you know, make it a financially viable thing. And that will help us, help me keep the shrine going because then I will be able to make my money doing something else that I really enjoy that I can do from home and work with a partner and help put the time into the shrine because like I said, the shrine doesn't make any money, but I need to make it some other way. So we're hoping that Ace Killer might be the thing that'll, that'll, that'll help do that. Um, so uh, like I said, the strip goes live on Monday the 31st. There'll be a new strip every day. The Kickstarter uh, campaign will run for a month from October 31st to November 30th. So uh, when everything goes up, everything goes live on Monday, please check it out. There'll, there'll be an Ace Kilroy blog, an Ace Kilroy Facebook page. There's an Ace Kilroy Twitter feed. It's everywhere. So um, I hope you check it out, and I hope you like it, and I hope you uh, spread the word. I I can tell you, folks. Uh, I Did you fall asleep in. during that? No, no, not at all. Oh, I'm, I appreciate I'm actually, that. I, I'm going to be nice, you know. Oh boy, Just hold hold on to your hat there for a minute. And I'm going to edit the show down to this part. Well, I'm sure you're wearing a hat because being bald, you've got to be cold. So. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I couldn't go just full on nice. Anyway, so folks, Rob was kind enough to give me a sneak preview of Ace Kilroy, and it looks it it's a lot of fun. It's you know very pulp. It, it, as you said, the Indiana Jones feel is there. It's a it's a great ride, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I'm going to do what I can to promote and get the word out there as well. And you know, folks, I do what you can to support, please. I yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Like I said, it's it's a it's it's a labor of love, and I think it's good enough that uh, that we can make it a you know a real ongoing concern. And uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see. So I'm I'm very proud of it. Dan has done tremendous work on it uh and i mean i'm not foolish enough to think that my writing is going to be the thing that sells it it's going to be dan's artwork that sells it which is <laughs> which is fine because i think he's a great great artist and he's doing a great job and we're having a the time of our lives collaborating on this and uh you know i said i i, I hope that that people like it and, and spread the word and uh i i would love nothing more to be able to say that my main job is writer of the ace kilroy comic strip because then uh if it makes me rich then we can pour that money back into the Aquaman Shrine. <laughs> <laughs> Such a great name, too, Ace Kilroy. I mean, Thank you. Per- you perfectly captured that eight, that 1940s, you know, action hero name. It, virtually everything about the strip has been a 50-50 between Dan and I. I came up with Ace. He came up with Kilroy. Oh, uh, cool. I submitted. I think I came. I think I, I have the emails. We've saved everything for the inevitable uh, Ace Kilroy hardcover edition. Um, or when you two, you know, have irreconcilable differences. In yeah, the lawsuit, yeah, you know, it's ugly. You have yeah. to figure out how to split the billions of dollars. We become the Martin and Lewis of uh, online comic strips. Um, <laughs> but I think I submitted Ace Corrigan. I think that was my first notion. And he wrote back and said, well, Corrigan sounds a lot like Secret Agent Corrigan. That's like a little too close. And I said, oh, you're right. Yeah, because, but I like Ace. And so then he wrote back, you know what? I love Kilroy. Kilroy was here. How about Ace Kilroy? And I said, I think that's it. And yeah. so we've had that collaboration. There's been, you know, just great. Uh, I've always been generally antisocial. And uh, <laughs> hence the whole working from home, working on my blogs and things like that. Um so it's been a new experience working with a partner, and it's been great. It's it's just been great. Dan sends me the artwork of the strips, and um, I uh, you know I write the script, I send him the scripts, he does the pencils and the inks, and then I see sends me back the strips for me to add the lettering and add the uh, effects or the color, and it's just a great 
it's it's just so fun seeing what he comes up with. And uh, like I said, it, we've been working on it for almost it, it, Ace Kilroy was practically created right after last year's New York Comic Con. And, oh, wow. Yeah, and we've been working on it since. And so the, now that it's finally here, it's just like, wow, I just can't. I'm scared. I'm scared to see put it up on Kickstarter and like actually put a monetary value on it. But uh, at the same time, I'm very excited because I'm very proud of it. And uh, like I said, I, I just, you know, if you, I, I hate to like phrase it like this because that sounds too hard sell, but I realize you kind of have to be hard sell sometimes. If you want the shrine to 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 keep going the way it is help support the other projects I'm doing because that will directly feed back into the shrine and help keep the shrine going and getting bigger and better and everything else. So, like I said, and I'm not necessarily saying please donate to Ace Kilroy, but I'm saying please spread the word because I figure the more people that hear about it, the better off uh, we will be. So, um, so again, that's the end of the plug. That's my 15 minutes of plugging Ace Kilroy. <laughs> and that's uh, acekilroy.com. Thank you. Yes, it uh, is. Starting October 31st. Yep. Fantastic. That's awesome. Well, um, let's tell the folks where they can find uh, Firestorm and Aquaman on the net. Uh, I'll talk for a bit because you've been talking. Um, <laughs> trying to figure out the nicest way to say that because I'm not trying to be mean. Very self-evident <laughs> statement because you've been talking. Well, yes, yes, I have. I stayed awake through that whole thing too. I mean, it really was amazing. I appreciate so, that. Uh, Firestorm can be found at firestormfan.com. Uh, we've got a Twitter feed over at surprisingly twitter.com and it's firestorm fan uh you've got we've got the facebook page if you would go over and like that we're getting more likes every day on that that's firestorm fan uh, again on facebook and you can you can find me on um you know that that's probably the best place to find me right there <laughs> <laughs> i also pop over to like the dc comics message board and i you know i like to stir up a hornet's nest over there every once in a while and gail simone's got a message board and all that but it's that that, that that'll get you where you need to be where can they find the Aquaman Shrine stuff? Uh, as always, uh, www.aquamanshrine.com, and you can find us on Twitter, and you can find us on Facebook, and uh, you can uh, download the iTunes app or whatever. But the, the Twitter thing is really, um, really hopping, thanks to uh, Shrine correspondent Joe Slab, who does a tremendous job of, of getting the word out there and getting the right tweets to the right people and aiming them and stuff like that. And so uh, that's really been a... It's, it's practically a site that rivals the shrine by itself in terms of the amount of content that he generates over there. I mean, I chime in occasionally, but for the most part, that's that's Joe's doing, and uh, it, it, I couldn't be prouder of it. He does a great job with it. Joe, Joe is a social media whiz. He sure is. I tell you. Okay, folks, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of the Fire and Water podcast. We'll be back in a week or two with another episode. Until then, fan the flame. And uh, as uh, Frank said, topo the morning to you. And uh, <laughs> I love that one. I have to. I got to work that in. I had to really. So uh, so yeah. I think I think that'll be it. And uh, we will catch you later. Ride the wave. That's good. See you later. Right. Bye bye. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm.
friends forever. Yeah! Hello, this is Ace Kilroy. We're over the Carpathian now. The plane is going down. The plane is...